Hello, Captains. At the start of every show, you normally hear us asking for donations to help Priority One Podcast. Well, for the next 30 days, we'll be asking you to support us in a much different way. The mecca of all Star Trek conventions is fast approaching, and we need your help to get there. We want to bring you up-to-the-minute coverage of all the convention events with photos, tweets, videos, blogs, interviews, and other great convention exclusives. Unfortunately, this year, we just can't do it alone. So we've put together a nifty Indiegogo campaign to help raise the funds we need to get to Star Trek Las Vegas in August. But we're not just asking for money. Oh, no. We've got amazing rewards for those who offer their support, all thanks to the support of the Star Trek Online development team. That's right. We've got Star Trek Online swag, the likes of which you won't find on eBay or a convention room vendor. We've got Priority One t-shirts, Star Trek Online posters, signed Star Trek Online posters, signed Star Trek Online game copies, and more. Visit PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash campaign and find out how you can support the show. As always, Captains, without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Bandwidth for Priority One Podcast is brought to you by Playa Escondida. Ever dreamed of visiting Planet Risa? Well, Playa Escondida is the ultimate beach resort excursion. Visit PlayaEscondida.com to book your ultimate vacation getaway. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 180 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded Thursday, June 26th, 2014, live on trekradio.net, and available for download or streaming as of Monday, June 30th, 2014, at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Jace. I'm Elijah. And I'm Skiffy. So, what do we have in store this week, Elijah? Well, Captains, unfortunately, Cookie cannot join us this week. She is out touring with a beautiful choir. So, good luck to Cookie Cupcakes. We miss you, and we'll see you next week. But, Captains, we will go around the web this week and trek out what's trending in Star Trek. In Star Trek Online News, a new blog by systems designer Adjudicator Hawk has been released that continues to introduce players to the crafting system hitting holodeck later in July. Mm. In field notes, Professor Jace and I review a defensive build for cruisers, putting the theories from our last three field notes into practice. Captains, the Star Trek convention hit Boston the weekend of June 20th, and our Andorian correspondents, L, Vinny, and Adorpheus were there, representing in full cosplay. As a matter of fact, L had the chance to sit and chat with CEO John Radoff of Disruptor Beam to discuss Star Trek Timelines, a new game coming to your handheld devices. Check out this blog and others only on PriorityOnePodcast.com. 
Captains, as you heard at the start of the show, we've launched an Indiegogo campaign to help fund the costs involved with attending this year's Creation Entertainment Las Vegas Star Trek Convention. With your support, in a little over 48 hours, we managed to exceed over 50% of our baseline budget which will cover the cost of getting just one of us there and broadcasting live with trekradio.net. But we're still about a third of the way of ensuring that I, Jace, and Cookie Cupcakes can attend the convention. So we need your support. As our thanks for supporting this campaign, we've managed to get our hands on some phenomenal and ultra-rare Star Trek Online swag. For your support, not only will you find out about convention news as it happens, but... You can also get your hands on items like a beautiful STO Romulan ships poster. Dat poster, though. Dat poster. Or copies of Star Trek Online signed by the entire development team. We say it every week, Captains. Without you, none of this would be possible. So visit PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash campaign and find out how you can support Priority One Podcast. And we thank the entire team at Cryptic and Perfect World Entertainment for their support. Speaking of thanks, we owe a huge thanks to those who have already contributed. That's right. A big thanks to Don D 2 k 5 from way across the pond. To C.R. Keen. To Phil Farkley. Varzek of Stow Trust. Finbar Farager. My boy John. John Bendits. You're my boy Blue. Mizu Guy 19811, who we had the distinct pleasure of meeting at Star Trek Las Vegas 2013 last year, who was also a big supporter of uh, getting the bridge to Las Vegas. To our dancing man, Taco Fangs. To Jamie Morin. To God Cat. And from the land down under, a big thanks to Ben Churchill and Woody Valley. Thank you for committing to support Priority One at this year's Star Trek Las Vegas convention. Stay up to date on the progress by keeping an eye on our social media platforms like facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast or on Twitter at STO priority one. So listen, Jace and Skiffy, you too. We're all planning on getting to Vegas, right? We're going to get there. Our listeners are going to support us and we've got some amazing rewards. And so we're going to be there. So let me ask you this. Are either of you going to get yourself a uniform? I completely intend to. Absolutely. I still haven't decided which one. I, I, I kind of... I like the Stowe uniforms, but I really like the Odyssey uniform, so I kind of want to hold off on getting a Stowe uniform until they have the Odyssey one. But uh, I'm looking at the TNG ones, actually. You know, I've never done cosplay at a con. I've, I've dressed up at, like, Ren fairs and stuff, but I think it'd be pretty fun. I think it'd also be fun to be a part of the breaking the record of how many costumed people are in one uh, room. Oh, one yeah. Time. It'd be nice to be a part of that. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of cool aspects to having the outfits. We know I, if Cookie goes, she's going to be in uniform at least some of the time. Absolutely. And I'm definitely picking myself up a sweet Star Trek Online-inspired uniform from our partner, Cosplay Sky, to have just in time for that convention this year. And, Captains, if you're going to the convention this year, you should probably pick one up, too. Because we should plan on group shots completely decked out in Star Trek Online uniforms. And, Captains, like I've mentioned before, I saw the quality of Cosplay Sky's tailored uniforms last year at the 2013 convention, and they looked great. I was really envious of the guys who wore them, and I wish I would have grabbed their contact information. So whether or not you want to plan for that group shot in Vegas, or maybe you're going to Dragon Con to meet up with our Andorian correspondents, or maybe to meet up with Jace and me at the New York City Comic Con, be sure to use promo code P1POD at checkout to save 10% off your purchase. 
For more information, visit PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash Cosplay Sky and check out their entire catalog of costumes. From Star Trek to Marvel to anime, you name it, they've got it all. So visit PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash Cosplay Sky. Use promo code P1POD, that's P, the number one, P-O-D, and suit up, because you're out of uniform. And we thank Cosplay Sky for their support of Priority One Podcast. Well, Captains, let's trek out how Star Trek has been trending in the news this week. Jim, what places? I don't know. Then let's trek it out. Trending this week, we trek out an interview by the new Nerdist podcast, Humans of Earth, with co-writer and recently announced director of Star Trek Three or Star Trek Thirteen for some, Roberto Orsi. Now, Captains, we expressed our reservations about Mr. Orsi taking the helm in more ways than one of our beloved franchise, but this interview is definitely worth listening. Now, although they danced around his directorial experience, or lack thereof, it is addressed. The host, Jeff, asked Bob Orsi if he will look to J.J. for advice as he takes on the role of director, to which he replies, I'm fortunate to have seen a lot of directors direct, and I plan on picking all of their brains. This is not a time to not ask for help, to not get cumulative wisdom of all the people I've been lucky enough to see and to work with. I've been lucky enough to be a writer-producer for a good long time. So I've had the good fortune of watching people direct now for 15, 16, 17, 18 years. Does this qualify me to do it? Who knows? We'll find out. Stay tuned. So, (laughs) I'm driving, and I'm listening to this podcast, and I'm thinking to myself, all right, that's like me saying, I've watched my papa restore cars or be a carpenter. For most of my life, I think today I'm going to wake up and just build a car and give it off to somebody. Or let me make a whole bunch of furniture and give it away to my close friends so they can try to use for life. Okay, seriously, that's just an ignorant comment. <laughs> that's fantastic. And not just not just like a Civic, like a high-end. This is like I'm going to build a Ferrari and send it to the test track because we're talking a big-budget production. This is in a soapbox. And yeah, so for him to say, oh, well, I've watched it for 15, 16, 17, 18, again, that's like me saying, well, I've, I've watched people tap dance for a good long while. Let me put on a dance recital. <laughs> Even bookended by his comment about writing and producing, I think that does a disservice to the unique skills of each role. He joked in the interview about having received a directing book for dummies, and, and, and he can joke all he wants, but he's going to need support. He's going to need somebody there with him to produce this type of a project. There's just no way that you're just going to walk in and think you're going to pull a character out of an actor because you've been watching it and taking notes for the last 15 years. There's a difference between watching and doing when you have to pick up, when you actually have to pick up the tools to get something done. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? He's a much more personable and, dare I say, likable person in an interview. Uh, he, a little bit, he is. He's a little bit likable. And he's got a witty and dry sense of humor that I can appreciate, but I'm not feeling any more at ease that this first-time director is taking the helm of Star Trek on its 50th anniversary. So the podcast went on to discuss other topics like how much secrecy can fans expect during the development of the third film, to which he replied, I think it's going to be a mix of openness and secrecy. 
on the one hand, you want the story to have surprises. Otherwise, why even go to the movie, right? On the other hand, you want to share enough of it to let people know what they're going to get, what they can expect, and what the experience is going to feel like. So what I took away from that is we're probably not going to have any John Harrison secrecy kind of... That was all very childish, and it burned a lot of people with the whole, oh, it's not con, several people explicitly said, which if you're going to lie to us, like, if you want to leave it in a gray area, that's fine, but don't lie to the fans. Right. So, Captains, we encourage you to uh, check out the full podcast, and it can be found at uh, Nerdist.com. We'll have links, of course, in the show notes, and a big shout-out to TrekCore and their Twitter feed for bringing this article to our attention. Moving on... Could Netflix really be trying to get Star Trek? Over the last several weeks, there's been this whole rumor thing about Netflix picking up a Star Trek series and whether or not that's going to happen. And it all stemmed from something Larry Nemechek said that some news source decided to completely botch and interpret in whatever way they saw fit. But it turns out that there seems to be some sort of foundation with the idea that Netflix has approached CBS on several occasions to try to launch a Star Trek series on their platform. Rightfully so. Absolutely rightfully so. I don't even watch television anymore. If anything, I just jump on Netflix and I watch something like Oranges of the New Black or Arrested Development or Battlestar Galactica. Um, and of course, Star Trek and The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and Voyager but and the original series. Enterprise was the last series I went through, so it'll be a while before I go back to Enterprise. But, yeah, I think that I, I would love to see Star Trek go to Netflix. In the article that I read on, on Huffington Post, they threw around something about Showtime, like, getting up in arms if Netflix gets Star Trek. Why would Showtime want Star Trek? Why? Because it's popular and they want ratings. Yeah, but when I hear Showtime, <laughs> I can't help but say it. I hear adult film. I know, they have things like Dexter, but it's dark, though. It's a dark type of topic and story and genre that they produce, I don't know that Star Trek would do well with somebody like Showtime, whereas Netflix has the ability to really produce and corner sci-fi if they want to. I mean, listen, actually, I take that back. Maybe sci-fi has should be considering throwing their hat in the ring for a Star Trek series. Yeah, because we'll get a show like Caprica. Uh, dude, come on. Battlestar Galactica, though? Battlestar Galactica, yes. Caprica, no. What about Continuum? You're right. You know what? You're right. You're right. You know Maybe we could get Treknado. <laughs> uh, you know what show I think would be good on sci-fi would be something like Almost Human. If they were to pick that up, that'd be good. But but uh, maybe not Star Trek. But Netflix, yeah, I hope they win that bid. If anybody's going to get it, I think it's going to be Netflix. And the statistics I've heard is that Netflix, the most streamed programming on Netflix has been and continues to be Star Trek content. So they want it badly because they want more ratings and it's good for everybody involved. I hope so. I think that uh, that Netflix can really corner some, some awesome sci-fi story uh, if they were to nab this agreement. But we'll have to see. But Captains, what story would you want to see told if Netflix were to grab Star Trek? I mean, let's be real here. It doesn't have to be rated G, right? It doesn't have to be rated for the whole family. I mean, although we want it to be, but what kind of story do you think should be told if a company like Netflix gets a hold of Star Trek? Let us know in the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO180 or in the official Star Trek online forum post for this episode. Discover something that you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about? 
Send them over to us via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, let's check out what happened in Star Trek Online News. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. All right, Captains, in our first piece of Star Trek Online news, systems designer Jeff Adjudicator Hawk Hamilton provides more information on the crafting system. Now, a lot of this that was posted on the blog was discussed with our interview with Aravera in episode 179. So if you still have questions, if you still are not quite sure of the direction that crafting is going, I encourage you to listen to episode 179 of Priority One Podcast. Again, it's an introduction on the new schools that players will be able to progress through uh, in the crafting system. Of particular note, and I, and I, I saw that this was a big concern for players in our feedback from last week's episode with Aravera is how important the Dolph system will be in this new crafting system. So the one piece of article that I want to highlight is uh, Adjudicator Hawk writes, each type of item requires a different officer to create. So while a fabrication engineer will help you synthesize raw materials into crafting components, you'll need an energy weapon specialist to create a beam array or a research lab scientist to create a science console. Any duty officer of the appropriate specialization will allow you to create your item, but high quality duty officers provide a bonus to your skill rating, increasing your chance of critically succeeding. So one piece of feedback that we received was, okay, so now we need to buy or worry about obtaining these new duty officers that are being introduced with the crafting system. That's either gonna cost a significant amount of Zen by opening boxes or a ridiculous amount of, of EC by purchasing them off the exchange. So I, I, there, there are new duty officers being introduced with this crafting system. Is, is that how I'm understanding this? Uh, yes. Today on Tribble, the new school specialist duty officers went live in their initial form. Uh, right now, they're only required for the highest skill items in each R&D school and each of them is specialized in one school in addition to their normal duty officer specialization. So they have all the traits and active abilities. So they're just as good as any other duty officer of their type, but they also can be used for these top tier research and development projects. How can I obtain these DOFs? Well, you're right. They are available in C-Store duty officer cadres, including ones that people already have. If you haven't opened them, if you transfer them over to Tribble, they have a chance of having school specialists in them as well, just like the ones that people currently have either on the exchange or whatever. If you haven't opened them by the time this goes live, it would have them. It would have a chance of giving you school specialists. Uh, they can also be obtained as a reward for a duty officer assignment at your Starbase recruiter or at the academy. Request R and D assistance, but it costs a thousand dilithium, similar to one of the recruitment missions that was already in place and it rewards materials and components with a chance at school specialists and catalysts as well. And catalysts are another thing that uh, initially we thought were just gonna be a C-Store item, but you can get them as a reward through the duty officer system. So here's another piece of feedback that I've seen consistently after our interview with Aravera, and that's regarding the exploration clusters. There are people who are seriously upset that the exploration clusters are going bye-bye. I'm having a hard time seeing why because, I mean, I very seldom go into an exploration cluster unless I want to do a duty officer chain, uh, if that. So I want to reference a forum post by Captain Manx, and they write, I'm having trouble being objective, though. For me, the crafting revamp is being completely overshadowed by the removal of the exploration missions. 
Captain Gecko's comments aren't making me feel any better. More casual dismissal of exploration missions as quote-unquote not adding anything to the game and vague assurance that things that are being removed will be back at some point in some form. I'm increasingly certain that the folks saying we're bound to get an exploration revamp in expansion number two are being overly and hopelessly optimistic. So so what is the big deal of, of, of losing the exploration missions? Anne-Marie 30 addressed that also on the Stowe Forum post. I see the removal of the clusters as doing two things. One, getting rid of a relatively easy source of dilithium. And two, getting rid of the main source of farming the very bits that we always have used to craft. So hopefully the DOF missions will have the bits added to the scan such and such type uh, minigame. And I agree with both of those things. The exploration clusters were an easy way to do scanning anomalies type action. You know, you could just go out there, hit a few of them. They're really, you didn't have to pick a particular star system or whatever that you knew was hot with them because they were totally randomized. Why would you do that anyway when the crafting system that is currently on hol Holodeck, the old crafting system, was subpar? How many people now are pr really presently saying, well, damn, I just started the crafting system. I, I don't I don't know that there are very many people doing that. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said last time, I, I'm, I have a max level crafter and I have used it a fair amount. I never really farmed a lot of materials though because they were relatively inexpensive and I would just get them from the exchange if I was short on them. I just picked them up incidentally as I was doing missions usually. But hey, in order for them to be on the exchange, somebody had to be farming big stacks of them and selling them unless they were just you know selling the ones they found while they were leveling up. And I don't know that everybody had the mindset to save them while they were leveling up or even bothered scanning anomalies during that process. I can see where people are coming from. I didn't do those sectors very much, but they were one of the only procedurally generated areas in the game, you know, with, with the Genesis system when it came out, right? Obviously, it's fallen behind much of the rest of the game, but it was one of the only places where you could get a, re a real surprise, like you have no idea what's going to happen, even though sometimes what was happening was very silly, like, oh, we're the third board kingdom or something crazy like that we're enraged if i remember correctly um every time we bring up the genesis system <laughs> taco fangs will perk up and say the genesis system is old and crappy um <laughs> which which is uh, you know i i see why i mean the engine was designed to pop out quick missions but what they're doing now in comparison to what the Genesis system can do is just night and day. So I'm pretty sure, if not 98% confident, that Genesis system, the Genesis uh, creator for missions is pretty much dead in the cryptic engine. I wouldn't agree that it's overly and hopelessly optimistic to say we're hopefully getting an exploration revamp coming up relatively soon. Uh, it is optimistic, but... I don't see, I, I personally don't see to be doom and gloom based on this. They usually don't tear whole systems out of the game unless they're planning on replacing them. I mean, they left the crafting system, which they had a lot more bad things to say about than Genesis, in all the way until now on the eve of changing it. Now, what about the dilithium? I mean, are we seriously losing that much dilithium with the exploration? It, it's as much as you can get from anywhere else. You know, it's a daily wrapper type mission go explore x number of star clusters i only did it occasionally if i just hadn't quite maxed out my uh the lithium farming again since since the dilithium currency was introduced we now have more ways to get it than we did then but anytime something is taken away it naturally feels bad like i i think some of the outcry is probably disproportionate 
but there's a great a, a little kernel of truth in it. My one last note that I'll make before we move on about the, the exploration clusters, I think some folks are looking at those systems through rose-colored glasses based on what their names are, diplomacy and exploration. Because realistically, what you do out there is no different than what we do anywhere else in the game, just with random events and worse scripting. It's still either scan five things or kill five groups of guys or hit F a few times through a dialogue that makes no canon sense. I want diplomacy and exploration in my trek 100%, and what's out there just isn't it. Like we're not, it's not like we're losing this option to play a character based wholly around diplomacy. You can get like one diplomacy point per mission out there. It doesn't even move your bar in the commendation XP. But moving on to triple notes, we already talked about the school specialist duty officers that went live today, but on Tuesday there was also a big patch with a nice little surprise from Thomas the Cat, which he had teased on Twitter beforehand. The Odyssey and Bordescue uniforms are going to be made a common free-to-all option in the tailor, which I think is awesome. And it's also, I believe, been completed with the belt uh, just the way NPCs can wear it which was not previously enabled for player use. Additionally, for folks who have already bought it, like myself, from the fleet tailors, a new fleet exclusive uniform will be added, and anyone who has previously purchased the Odyssey or Bordescu uniforms will get those. So we were talking about getting uniforms for Star Trek Las Vegas, right? And everybody was like, oh, I would get the Odyssey. Give me the Odyssey. I want the Odyssey. Give me the Odyssey uniform. Oh, my God, I really want it. So I finally go in, and I... I buy the Odyssey uniform to see what everybody's talking about. And I'm like, all right, let me buy it. And let me like, let me just adjust it. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll find a style that I like. Nope. I don't like it. It's not my favorite uniform. <laughs> so I spent the, the dilithium uh, and the fleet credits to get this uniform. I was unimpressed. And then they announced this. So <laughs> well, maybe you'll like the new one woo! that you get. You're right. Maybe I will like the new one. Additionally, in the Tuesday patch on the Tribble, if you haven't been doing crafting testing, they added a few of the new high-level unique items into the game, which I haven't looked at in depth yet, but I did look at screenshots of several of them. They included a TR-116B sniper rifle. Some of you may remember the A from the Target exclusive back at launch. This one does not fire through walls, but does have knockback and heavy shield penetration. What was the difference? What was the difference between the, the target one and now this one? The original one could actually shoot through walls as long as you had the enemy targeted. You know, like if you were not in uh, shooter mode. I guess you could do it in shooter mode if you knew where they were. But if you were in RPG mode, you had enemy targeted, this thing could fire even through a wall. And uh, it's a kind of a, a cult classic, a fan favorite among those who have it or who are jealous of it. I definitely wouldn't mind having one, even without the uh, old Arnold Schwarzenegger eraser effect. They also showed a fleet quality 90 degree firing arc dual heavy cannon, basically giving a cannon the arc modifier like we see on the 180 degree torpedoes. Could be a very effective choice for some of the heavier destroyers and cruisers that can mount cannons but sometimes have a little bit of a hard time keeping enemies in that narrow 45 degree firing arc. Also now all the queued events will give crafting packets. Uh, a normal difficulty event will give up to and including rare quality crafting materials and components where elite queues have a chance of giving very rare materials. There's a lot in both of these notes 
Most of them are work in progress stuff, so I'm not going to go into great depth with them. If you're involved in testing on Tribble or want to know a little more what it's about, I would look at both of these sets of patch notes. They will be in the show notes. I encourage everybody to get on Tribble and do their best to break the system so that we can get it fixed and get it in shape that we all can enjoy. Well, Captains, that wraps up Star Trek Online news for this week. Let's jump right into Field Notes, where Professor Jason and I review a defensive build for cruisers, putting the theories from our last three Field Notes into practice. I'm sure there is an answer. Well, better get some facts. Welcome, Captains. Thank you for joining me for the final installment of Field Notes, part four on our series covering the topic of defense in space, but not the last time you will hear me giving instruction and advice on game systems in STO. No, it's just the last time it will be called the name Field Notes. We'll revisit that subject after we take care of our business at hand today. So to recap the series so far, in part one, which was episode 170, we examined how the choices we make in creating our captain, our avatar in the game, affects our defensive options and capabilities in space via powers, traits, and skills. Part two, in episode 173, looked at ship systems such as consoles, shields, deflectors, and weapons. And last time, in episode 176, saw us reviewing our crews, including both bridge officers, their traits and powers, and duty officers. Some relevant links to assist in breaking down those prior topics can be found in our show notes. Today, let's put all that knowledge to work and put together a build encompassing all these ideas, a captain, ship, and crew that will be able to weather the many dangers of 2410 and make it home again. Specifically, we'll design a sturdy vessel able to hold its own in single-player and queued group PvE content that's affordable enough for a new player to aspire towards immediately on reaching Vice Admiral or Lieutenant General rank. And Captains, for your convenience, a link to the build on Stowe Academy's handy-dandy skill planner will, of course, be in the show notes. For this build, you can choose any starting faction. Federation characters would ideally be Bolian, Benzite, or Alien. Romulan characters, the alien gen, and KDF characters, Lethian or alien. However, this only affects one trait, efficient captain, which is not a make or break item. An actual full-blooded Romulan has access to the covert operative trait, which is excellent as well because it boosts 1.5% crit chance and 3.8% crit severity, or feel free to choose your preferred race. The build is designed as an engineering captain but can be used with little trouble by tactical or science captains as well. Engineers just have more tricks up their sleeves specifically for defensive use. The traits and skills I selected are focused on defense, but they don't neglect the need to dish out damage to your enemies. And remember, any of the skills ranked over a 6, feel free to adjust to taste. There are diminishing returns after the 3 and 6 mark, so be flexible with those. For simplicity's sake, I'm calling this a mirror assault cruiser build. The Mirror Assault Cruiser is under a million energy credits on the exchange, or you can get the standard Assault Cruiser for 120k Dilithium from Starship Requisitions. However, the build works almost identically on the KDF's Vorcha Battlecruiser Retrofit and the Romulan Hapax Advanced Warbird, which are both also available from the ship requisitions for 120,000 Dilithium. They're all good, well-rounded ships with high defensive capability, but retaining enough tactical punch to get things done in a fight. The ship's gear loadout is built around items that can be obtained for free by running and rerunning story missions, supplemented by the most effective and inexpensive items available via the exchange. Now, I started with the Jem'Hadar space set, which are received as mission rewards from two episodes from the 2800, aka the Cardassian Struggle series. 
the first are the deflectors and engines from Operation Gamma, so you'll have to run it twice, and the shields from Boldly They Rode. Dominion Polaron beam arrays are also available from Boldly They Rode, in addition to the excellent Resilient Shield Array. While several of these powers are defensive, the set also offers a bonus to Polaron energy damage, which works well with the Dominion Polaron beam arrays you can get from that mission. Since we'll have only a few tactical abilities for now, making the most of your damage output will help you finish fights instead of merely surviving them. Now, I opted for a mix of defensive consoles in the science and engineering slots as the available options all suffer from diminishing returns if stacked in great numbers, unlike your tactical consoles where you can put numerous of the same energy type and get the same benefit. Feel free to vary that layout. What about shields? Do you find that there's a diminishing returns when you put uh, shield modifying consoles in? Yes, because they tend to modify the captain skill and captain skills all have diminishing returns. So take a look at the blog post for this edition of Field Notes for more details on console options, consumable items, and warp cores. So with that, you have a captain and a ship fairly well prepared for a stiff fight. She won't go down easy with this kit. However, the real nuts and bolts that will make this build work for you are your bridge officers and to a lesser extent, duty officers. I started us off with five active space duty officers that are not too pricey three tactical energy weapons officers to help reduce your beam fire at will cooldown as much as possible. For the other two active duty space officers, I chose a warp core engineer and a shield distribution officer. So I've talked about these duty officers in our previous installment, but for more complete explanations, again, see the blog post. Well, uh, of course we want everybody to visit the companion blog post, but can you talk to us about the guiding principle, essentially, when it comes to the boff layouts? Sure. Central to this build is making sure that you have certain abilities up virtually all the time. So you want to have a rotation where as soon as it's coming off cooldown, another copy of the ability pops up. And we do this with three abilities. Uh, one is Tactical Team, which we use two copies of Tactical Team to achieve this. and it doesn't work perfectly that they line up, but you end up with about two-thirds of the time. Tactical team is running, rebalancing your shields as you take damage, and giving you a bonus to damage as well, plus removing debuffs like boarding party. So that's really nice, and you see that on a lot of builds. I couldn't leave it off here in good conscience. The other two are emergency power abilities. I used emergency power to shields one and emergency power to weapons three, but you can switch them up if you want. I felt that we had enough defensive focus to err on the side of giving us some additional damage so it doesn't take forever to finish a fight. But if you want more defense, especially starting out, you could do emergency power to shields instead. The way the cooldown on emergency power abilities works is pretty neat since they have a global cooldown of 30 seconds but an internal cooldown of only 15 you can basically fire off emergency power to shields and then 15 seconds later fire off emergency power to weapons so now they're both running concurrently 15 seconds later shields will end and you can fire off your second copy of emergency power to shields and then do the same thing with weapons and by then the first copies have cooled down and you can just have a permanent cycle with both of those abilities running all the time it's just the first 15 seconds of the fight you only have one of them up. I usually run weapons hot first because you're generally not taking that much damage when you first come bursting in with a group, but your mileage may vary. The damage reduction as you fly into the middle of a big group of enemies might be more beneficial 
depending on your play style. Now I do also in the blog offer some upgrade options to improve on the foundations of this build. There's really a lot you can do with fleet gear, with reputation gear. So please do check that out only on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Just to give you a couple of examples, this ship and the gear and basic officers you put together could just as well lend themselves to an aux to bat build once you get the correct duty officers in place for that which I encourage you to check out Sean, a.k.a. Captain Starbucks, previous blog post about Aux to Bat. It's very adaptable to that. Uh, alternatively, there's some duty officers you could swap in, which would allow you to juggle your tactical abilities in an even more beneficial way, getting that rotation of tactical team with only one copy. But that's fairly expensive. You need very rare quality officers for that that run several million each on the exchange. And one last note, we have finally picked a new name for this reinvented, reinvigorated version of Field Notes. Starting with our next installment, I invite you to join us in Command School. Thank you to Dugan of TOS Vets for the winning suggestion, and thanks to all who had some fun, occasionally zany, and great ideas for Trek-inspired names for this part of the show. Well, Captains... That's your schooling for the week. Let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. All right, Captains, we are at the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your feedback on episode 179, which was our interview with Captain Gecko. And our community question last week was... What are your thoughts on the new changes to crafting that just hit Tribble? What would you like to see changed? From the Star Trek Online forum post for last week's episode, Irish Captain 007 posted on our official STO forum post, Thanks for the interview with Captain Gecko. It was very informative. It assuaged some of my fears about the dilithium costs currently on Tribble, but it also raised some questions, especially regarding the new items in Expansion 2 that will be exclusively tied to crafting. Hopefully we won't have to grind the crafting system on each of our tunes, and they will set up a similar system where if you progress through one tune, you'll be able to reduce the costs for subsequent characters. Which I was actually thinking about that, yeah. That was something that we failed to ask Alrevera, is that what happens to the uh, multi-tune captain? You know, will they have to progress through it, or will there be something like the reputation system where you earn a token, and it shaves off a pretty decent chunk of the uh, of the costs involved to leveling. I would hope they do something just because of the traits gated in there. The items, most of the items you'll either be able to craft for another character or craft those tradable upgrades, but because of the traits, uh, I hope there's some sort of uh, assistance to your second or third or how some people have very many alts. All right, Captains, our next piece of feedback from the Star Trek Online forums comes from Chalpin. Cryptic went on last year talking how important a second screen was to MMO nowadays. It was the best thing to do to keep an MMO current. Then it wasn't, which is fine. But what is killing me is that Cryptic won't say what had changed. Later, Chopin also wrote, All I understood about the, that interview is that Gecko knows how to make a sausage. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that, yes, that was, that was good. So, um... Uh, you know, um, I don't think it was Cryptic that harped so much about how important it was to have a second screen experience. 
as it was maybe the podcasts. I mean, I remember we were very, I, at least I personally was very adamant about having a second, a second screen experience. So whatever the deciding factor is for having changed that decision with uh, Steven D'Angelo, I'm glad for it. Yeah, I have to agree. I have always wanted something I could do on my tablet uh, or even my phone to, to take care of some of this stuff when I'm not sitting at the computer. Like I said last week, that just being back on the table again makes me happy. It might be a ways off. I understand that. I'm patient. It was with a heavy heart I heard them talking about how Gateway was sort of shelved for a while. Jira Linria writes, also on the STO forums, So after listening to the interview and also testing the crafting system out on Tribble, I'm looking forward to it. As it is right now on Tribble, it needs some tweaking, but where they're planning to take it sounds very promising. And the loss of the exploration clusters, well, not sad about it. And those people who are getting easy EC and dill out of them, too bad. Well, we talked about this a little bit uh, earlier today. Hopefully we'll see an improvement to the exploration clusters and... Maybe the Genesis feature of Star Trek Online is going to get a big overhaul. In the meantime, Genesis is forbidden. MHAL85 writes via the Star Trek Online forums, Ultra Rare Mako Set? What? That is all. Can't really argue that point. No, sir. Dragon's Brethren also wrote on the STO forums, Listen to this, I'm getting hyped. It's a shame the early state of the crafting revamp is giving everyone, including myself, a negative impression of it. I was under the impression that Tribble was for near final content, but apparently this is very early, and that explains a lot of the problems. Which yeah, I think that's really why Al wanted to go so in-depth about it so early, to to emphasize that this is for the, the tester, the, the tech person, to, to go in and try to break it, not to analyze it as if it was live in the game. Right, right. Which was the mistake that I did. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went in thinking, you know, I went in as the gung-ho player that wants the, the the big shiny right now and said oh my god this is horrible <laughs> right because I, I wanted that Mark 12 anti-proton dual heavy cannon but after talking to Aravera I understand it better and, and I, I can appreciate the the necessity for for a player to separate separates the immediate satisfaction with developing the game for the betterment of the community and that's what what is on Tribble right now is for players to go on, break it, report it, so that when it hits holodeck, right, the UI is is just something separate. We'll see that in the coming weeks, but at its core, the foundation is on Tribble. Break it and report it. And the following comments come to us via PriorityOnePodcast.com. Lance and Dragon wrote, "Well, Al pretty much cleared most of my worries and fears of the system." I still don't like the idea of having to make 20 little items for my final item, but there has to be some time investment somewhere. Maybe we could get some recipes that just give an item that is worth EC and give a big chunk of crafting school XP so it doesn't feel like I'm making equipment that I'm just going to sell to a vendor anyway. That's actually a pretty good point. I mean, you know, Al, we were, I remember in the interview we were talking about having to craft that crappy leather bag first (laughs) in order to get to the leak gear but maybe instead of crafting items we craft ec credit changes ec credit exchanges call it something in fiction you know like it's a like it's a trainer module you know how like you buy those uh, electronic learning kits and it's like just a board of transistors and stuff like that that you can do different projects on to raise your irl skill level that kind of thing I could see something like that. I don't. I don't know if it fits in their plans, but 
It's a good idea. D. Desjardins wrote, Really wish they had communicated this better before adding it to Tribble. I judged what I saw and was appalled. Although they have not always done what they've said within podcasts, if they do follow through with the changes mentioned in this podcast, it doesn't sound so bad. Lord Ice wrote, Something that Gecko said bothered the crap out of me. You're lowering the prices on deflectors and raising them on weapons based on the usefulness of the item. You are deliberately inflating prices completely arbitrarily because players want more of one thing. Is that what he said? Did he say that? Did he really say that he was going to up the prices on weapons because there were... Prices are basically being normalized. Like right now, if you find as a drop a deflector, it's worth like three to five times what a weapon is. And when they initially did that, they thought, well, you're going to need eight weapons, so those should not be as expensive. But realistically, the value people place on weapons is so much higher. Like, I would rather replace all my weapons than even worry about what deflector I have almost for most players. I think it depends a lot on how much they're going to be upping the price on. I don't know that he's saying that he's going to make weapons cost as nearly as much as what deflectors were. I mean, I... I need more info on that, because right now the, the prices on Tribble are jacked up, but I believe Adjudicator Hawk said that that was due to a bug that had to do with how they made certain changes in the economic system on the back end, and it got propagated out the wrong way. So now there are some weapons that cost like 47,000 dilithium when they're not supposed to. A lot of people are treating that data point like it has something to do with the new system. Regardless, I mean, you do still need six to eight weapons for every ship, so I hope it's not too much of a increase. It's already very expensive to get a full suite of weapons. Sunseal said, make no mistakes here either. This is a new reputation. In fact, there are several separate ones all at once, and leveling it will have no value to me as lower level or lower rarity items are always dirt cheap on the exchange, even after they tweak the junk vendor's purchasing prices. And anyone who defends this by saying they have to make money somehow, they already will. Catalysts will be their own friggin' crafting doff pack thing and also stuffed in lockboxes. You can't tell me that my using dilithium ensures they make money when they're already gonna make it with his <laughs> lockbox. Whoa, oh, lockbox. Lockbox? What? I don't know. But the fact that it's a new reputation system, I can see, I can see that. I can see that it is in that same type of formula, in that same kind of in the atmosphere yeah. of a reputation You're system. You're leveling something up across five tiers by dumping resources into it with timed projects. Makes sense. I guess my concern is specifically that if I have reached level 20 in three schools and you've reached level 20 in three other schools, that I'm not going to get penalized when I necessarily or terribly penalized when I try to craft something and you've given me something from another school that you're an expert at. I want that balance. Like, I don't want to craft beams, right? I want to craft cannons. But you want to craft can beams. So if you give me that beams token, that is going to allow me to craft the beams that I want because I'm also a master crafter at cannons and these other well, things. Well, most of the fi finished products, most of the finished products will be tradable. It's certain specific things where, like, you're upgrading your Mako set where you're not going to be able to trade it, but you might... He said there's going to be a system where you can help someone else upgrade theirs. So I don't think you have to worry about, like, you're not... I'm not going to be able to give you as good of a beam as you can make of a cannon or whatever. 
I think that'll be okay. All right, so let's look at the Minko set, right? That would fall under the consoles, right? Or the engineering, maybe, if anything. If I am, if I'm max level at everything but engineer, does that mean I'm gonna suffer when I try to upgrade my my Mako consoles? No, it just means you'll need somebody else to do it. Someone else will give you something that you affix to your item. It, I remember him saying that you'd still have to kind of you know develop yourself in that in that school so that you would get the most out of that token. So I'm I'm max at four out of five schools or nine out of ten schools except for the one school that needs the Mago. How bad am I going to suffer? Shouldn't there be a system to offset that? That if I'm if I'm good at eight out of ten, like a synergy bonus, that should almost. mean something. Yeah, I didn't like, get yeah, that out yeah. of what he said, and I think that if as long as you you're talking about leveling to twenty, where he said leveling to fifteen will not be nearly as bad as getting from fifteen to twenty. So, like, say you get to level ten or something in that seventh and final school that you haven't worked on. With a good duty officer and a catalyst, you should still have a pretty good chance of making the top tier stuff. It's it's getting all the way to twenty that is just going to unlock some of the like special. Like this is what the point of leveling this is. You know, there has to be that balance that there has to be something that people get out of leveling all the way up where people won't bother. It won't seem valuable because it's going to be hard. There's going to be some people who are completionists that just suck it up and do it all for all seven. Other people, I think the average player is going to level one or two. Sure, but now that we have a limit on traits, you're going to pick the ones that you actually want on that character. I allow for that completionist person, but if it's if it's going to cost a lot of resources and time and dilithium, I'm not going to level all seven of them. That's just not how I play. I, I might maybe across my three or four characters, collectively we might level all seven, but not on one specific character unless there's some overriding reason to. Captains, each week our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show. So please, we encourage you to keep them coming. You, you can reach out to us on facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast, or you can follow us on Twitter at STO priority one. You can also shoot us an email to incoming at priority one podcast.com. Well, that wraps up episode 180 of Priority One Podcast, recorded live on Trek Radio starting at around 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. Pacific. And you can subscribe by pointing your podcast catcher at feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. Captains, you know we love hearing from you. So let us know what you think of the show and submit your responses to our community question in the comments section on the site or on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode. Remember, this week we asked, what type of Star Trek show would you like to see on Netflix? Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to Facebook.com slash Priority One Podcast and give us a like. Or check us out on Twitter via at STO Priority One. You can even join the Priority One podcast chat in-game. Just type forward slash channel underscore join space Priority One. Captains, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One podcast. We've still got time before our Indiegogo campaign is up. So get yourself a rare, ultra-rare piece of Star Trek history with some swag signed by the entire Star Trek Online development team. Visit PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash campaign to find out how you can contribute and earn those amazing rewards. A very special thanks to everyone who has already contributed and continues to do so on a recurring basis. Without your ongoing support, we would not be able to bring you the content you've come to enjoy 
from Priority One Podcast. And don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. It's a pretty good show. You should probably check it out. The Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your at handle and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineer, Skiffy, and audio assistant, Ben Churchill. A special thanks to our QA support staffer, Midnight Shadow 7. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Epic Gamer Radio, Subspace Radio, and, of course, Trek Radio. Special thanks to our sponsor, Sayulita.com, and new partner, Cosplay Sky. Let's get a platoon of Star Trek Online officers together at the convention and represent. So, captains, don't forget, use promo code P1POD at checkout to save 10%. For more information, visit PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash Cosplay Sky. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek Online community, our listeners. Without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage. So I have been distracted this entire time because the freaking what I call demons. I call these things demons. <laughs> they are the the centipedes, like you know, apartment oh, centipedes. house centipedes. Yeah, yeah, house centipedes. Those things are demons. Oh god! Man, and they scare the shit out of me. They absolutely terrify. Thank goodness me. I don't have them so, here. Oh god, it's moving. Oh god, it's moving over my computer. Oh, how fast! So, folks, we're gonna take a quick musical break, and we'll be right back, possibly with Elijah. Um. Yeah, I don't know where it went. I don't know if you can yeah. hear me, but... From the land down under, a big thanks to Ben Churchill and Wooly Valley. Woody Valley. You said Wooly. Wooly, okay. Like a woolly mammoth. <laughs> Wooly Valley. That's good. <laughs> that doesn't sound right. Star Trek Online-inspired uniforms from our partner... Partner? Partner. From our partner. Okay. Gets... Yeah. Okay. Uh, give me a second. Red leather, yellow leather. Red leather, yellow leather. Okay. That's good radio. Thank you, Vanna. What? This is Vanna White. It's a little Wheel of Fortune joke. <laughs> or I should say uh, Lita. <laughs> I hate you. Nice. Traits and skills are focused on defense, but they don't neglect the need to... Oh. The sneed. So what what type of upgrades? What type of upgrades? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just, just go, just go. <laughs> A very special thanks to our guest, 
No guests. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Not the same without Cookie to do that with me.